Up next, Hugh Drummond speaks with Dr. Gregory Siatone of Anna Maria College. Anna Maria College offers a first-of-its-kind graduate program, providing health professionals with the leadership, organization, and communication skills to take on elevated roles during health emergencies and disaster events. Dr. Siatone is a nationally recognized leader in the health emergency management field. He's the author of the leading textbook in the field, Siatone's Disaster Medicine, and he holds an appointment as Associate Professor of Emergency Medicine at Harvard Medical School. We're pleased to be joined by Dr. Greg Siatone, Medical Director of Anna Maria College's Health Emergency Management Program, and he is here to uh, talk to us about coronavirus. But first, uh, Dr. Siatone, tell us more about yourself. Yes, well, thank you. Uh, thank you for having me. I, um, I'm an emergency physician by training. Uh, I am the uh, director of the Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center Fellowship in Disaster Medicine. Uh, as well as an associate professor of emergency medicine at Harvard Medical School. Um, I also am the uh, current president of the World Association for Disaster and Emergency Medicine, which spans, has members in uh, over 55 countries around the world and is the oldest organization of its kind. Um, and it's in that capacity that I provide um, medical directorship of the, um, the program in uh, health emergency management at Anna Maria. Well, again, thanks for being with us. Um, Dr. Siatone, so tell us, is the panic over coronavirus warranted? Um, how readily does this uh, virus spread, and, and how deadly is it? Well, uh, you know, first of all, panic is never warranted. Um, and and I, I think that, you know, we are seeing some, some of that on the global uh, stage right now. Um, the, uh, the coronavirus um, is not completely understood. But it does um, seem that it's it, it's spread, um, meaning meaning transmissibility uh, seems to be in a fashion that's similar to influenza. So it's a respiratory type of a of a spread, um, and and the practices that we use uh, every day, I'm sorry, every year, um, you know, for the influenza outbreak, uh, is really what we should be doing now, and that amounts to good personal hygiene, like um, hand washing, um, using uh, using the hand sanitizer solutions. Don't touch your face too often. Um, sneezing and coughing, you know, into your elbow as opposed to out into the air. Um, you know, so these 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 things that we do, um, you know, pretty much every year, really should be doing all the time to keep infectious diseases um, uh, limited. Um, is uh, is really what we should be doing now for the coronavirus? Mm -hmm. um, how deadly is it? So the data right now uh, seems to point to coronavirus having about a two percent mortality, though I suspect that is going to uh, lower become lower um, as we move forward because I think um, for a couple of reasons I think the denominator of that meaning how many people are actually infected right now is underreported uh, so I think that's going to bring it down a bit um, I think also that um, because we are starting to see um, some of the uh, better care patients and and some some revised data rather than just the very early data coming out of Wuhan China um, that we're going to start seeing that actually that that percentage is is a good deal lower than what it is. But right now, the percentage is at two percent. Um, I, I I think I'm not. I, I believe we're seeing some recent data now out of China that is pointing to more closer to a 0.7 percent um, uh, death rate. Though I don't I don't have that verified yet. But I, I do think that I do predict that as we go forward, um, that mortality rate is going to come down. Now, if you compare that to other outbreaks. Um, mm -hmm. Influenza every year is somewhere between a 0.1 and 0.2 percent um, uh, uh, mortality, death rate. Um, SARS was around 10 percent. 
uh, and Ebola is, of course, 50 to 70 percent. But there's a big difference between this and Ebola. And I think, I think this may be some of this may be contributing to sort of the global concern and global um, panic. Actually, I guess is the word that I would use that we're seeing now because we just recently, the last four or five years, came off of that Ebola outbreak, and I think there might be some concern um, from that. You know, now about this new outbreak that's making us. Um, uh, not treat it, you know, as we as we should, like essentially treat it like a an influenza outbreak as far as how we um, prevent transmissibility and um, how we manage the, the, the care. The big difference is um, Ebola, again, has a 50 to 70 percent mortality, but also um, 100 percent of Ebola patients, you know, those get, who get infected with Ebola have serious disease and, and therefore require very um, uh, high level medical care, meaning it's very resource dependent. It's an ICU level care essentially and beyond that. Um, whereas the COVID uh, outbreak, just like influenza, the vast majority, well over 80%, um, you know, require no care whatsoever. Um, it's self-limiting, as we say. Um, somewhere around 10 or 15% um, require medical care. And then it's a smaller percentage, maybe about 5%, um, that require a much higher level of care, like an ICU level of care. So the, the, the comparison really is, is vastly different with Ebola because, you know, as we as we saw during the Ebola outbreak, you know, we do here in the U.S. a really good job of caring for two to three Ebola patients at a time. If we would have cared for a hundred or a thousand or ten thousand, you know, that would have been crippling to our healthcare system just because it's so resource dependent. That's not the case with COVID. Mm -hmm. We hear a lot about containment. Um, you know, there's the cruise ship in Japan. Is, is containment the right operational response? Well, yes. I mean, you know, infectious disease outbreaks, uh, you, you always want to do the best you can, you know, uh, the best job at containing that you can. Um, but again, just so we don't, you know, have this contribute to panic, um, containment is one piece of it. But I think we also have to come to the understanding that COVID will, the COVID-19 will be everywhere, much like influenza. You know, in influenza, it's approximately one billion people a year are infected by influenza and, and pretty much everywhere in the world. Um, we're going to see something similar to that with COVID. It's going to spread everywhere. It's going to be in every state. Um, so while, yes, we, we should be looking at containment, um, I, I think the idea of preventing spread, meaning um, preventing it from coming to the U.S., preventing it from coming to any particular state, while it's a good thing to do, we shouldn't let that um, uh, get us very concerned when we're not able to do that because I think that it is going to spread much like the influenza virus spreads. So rather, we should re really be focusing on management of it while it's here um, because in my opinion, it's going to be here. Mm -hmm. So uh, you mentioned management and you know we're thinking about emergency management. What are, what are some things that municipal uh, emergency managers or, or people that have maybe that function in a private company, what should they be doing? Well, again, I think, uh, you know, a good uh, a good process to follow is much like you would do, as I said before, during the influenza outbreak. So practicing good personal hygiene, you know, throughout the organization, company, whatever we're, we're talking about. I do not think that people should be walking around uh, wearing masks. OK, mm -hmm. I do think if you're ill, you should self quarantine at home, let's say, uh, or perhaps, you know, wear a mask as well. So you don't um, uh, spread uh, the, the disease. Um, but just, you know, walk, walking to the grocery store, you know, to wherever in a mask, I think uh, when you're asymptomatic, I think is not something that needs to be done. Um, 
other practices, um, you know, would would include identifying, um, you know, workers. In this case, you're, you're talking about from a company, let's say, identifying workers or having them self-identify um, when they're ill and having them stay at home. Um, you know, again, these these are kind of standard infectious disease practices, and I really don't think that should change at all with the coronavirus. Mm-hmm. And you've mentioned before the the importance of having a plan, but also having a plan that that you're able to pivot from. Yeah. So you know, and I and this is uh, I teach disaster medicine, and this is a very basic premise that I teach to all my students, and that is, um, it's very good to plan. Uh, it's very good to make a plan. Uh, so it's it's you know for whether that's for a an explosion or a terrorist attack or uh, an infectious disease outbreak, it's good to have a plan on the shelf. That's that's fine. Um, but as I, as I say, better the planning than the plan, uh, because in my opinion, it's much better that you're able to go through the process and practice the process of planning for events than to actually physically have the plan, because the plan will change and the disaster will change. We have a, a saying in disaster medicine that if you've been to one disaster, you've been to one disaster, because they're all very different. Mm. So again, while it's good to have some sort of plan in, in, in place, it's, it's much better that you've actually gone through the process of planning. That's part of preparedness. Uh, where you learn to work with one one another. You learn how to pivot because inevitably in every disaster, you'll follow one course of action and then things will change and you'll have to pivot uh, and, and with it, you know, with the event and follow um, another, you know, angle, another related course of action. So the ability to, to pivot like that during a disaster uh, is, I think, directly dependent on, you know, how much planning you've done and how, how much of that active um, uh, participation of members of your leadership and others that have gone through that planning. Um, you know how much that they're they're able to incorporate those skills um, and make them actually operational during a disaster. Okay, thank you. Uh, last question. Uh, tell us a little bit about the health emergency management program. Uh, who enrolls in it, and uh, what what kinds of things do they learn? So um, our disaster medicine fellowship program at uh, at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center, <coughs> excuse me, is now um, in its fourteenth year. <coughs> And along the way, what we uh, uh, have done is look at different master programs that we might um, collaborate with so that any of our fellows who would like to pursue a master's um, could do so. So in, in, in the early on, in the early stages, we were um, having uh, some relationships with different masters of public health programs. But we decided to determine that, you know, really uh, a master's of public health, while it's a great, great master's to get, um, is not as applicable to disaster medicine as something like a healthcare emergency management master is. And, um, and this is even somewhat different from emergency management masters, um, uh, related but a little bit different because it focuses on the healthcare arena. So uh, it's for all walks of life, um, especially those interested in healthcare or maybe currently in healthcare. Uh, it is the, the, it's designed to um, uh, prepare someone to take on uh, a role or a responsibility either as a healthcare emergency manager, like in a hospital system, a medical center, a small hospital, large hospital, um, what have you, or to take a, a, a leadership role in a higher level organization. Um, and in you know, a governmental organization, let's say something like FEMA, um, Homeland Security has a medical director in, a, in an office. Um, the DHHS obviously has, um, uh, Health and Human Services has um, uh, different uh, emergency managers. So, you know, it's emergency management for the healthcare sector, essentially. Uh, and that's what it's what it's geared to uh, prepare the student for. Well, um, thank you. It's a tough topic to talk about, but I appreciate the wonderful information that you've shared and, and you know, making time out of your busy day to uh, be on our podcast. 
Sure, sure. It's my pleasure. Dr. Siatone, thank you very much.